Hello, and welcome to the Professional Outsider Podcast. I'm Megan Herndon. On this show, we discuss leadership strategies, the handoff of leadership to the next generation, and a whole lot more. Hey, Randy. We're excited to be recording with you today. Um, So today we're going to be talking about business communication and the skills you need, and I know that that's something you really emphasize and that's really important. Um, So to start us off today, I want to talk a bit about talking online versus offline, especially because so many things are more and more digital these days. So in a world where things are just more and more online, how can you avoid things being misinterpreted because they're not said face-to-face? Well, there's a simple answer to that, Megan, and there's also a little bit more complex answer Mm -hmm. to it. Uh, We'll do the simple one first, and that is just simply don't say things in email or text that should be said Mm face-to-face. Things that basic human decency require be said face-to-face with eye contact, humanely, need to be said face-to-face. And Mm -hmm. people who lack courage tend to do them through email, text messages. Uh, The person who breaks up with a lover via text or email, or a Facebook post, the boss who fires somebody that way, simply not a good person. Beyond that, let's let's just talk about some basic principles that I think are important in terms of communication that everybody needs to understand, and they're pertinent to digital communication, face-to-face verbal communication, et cetera. Number one is that communication is the responsibility of the sender. Mm -hmm. If there's something that I know is essential for you to know, then it's my responsibility to make sure you know it. And it's uh, not a legitimate excuse to say, well, I sent Megan an email because things happen with email. Uh, One of the things that happens with email, particularly with my tech clients, is tech people get 300 emails a day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And they may have very rigorous filters set up and they may not get to an email. And they may, when they come back to get to it, it may be buried in 300 more. Mm -hmm. So we can't presume just because we've sent an email that our responsibility in communicating to somebody and or with somebody is is done. We have to check and make sure people got the information if it's important. Uh, number two, choose the mode of communication that best serves the intention behind what you plan to communicate. If you need to provide somebody with some meaningful feedback to help them learn and grow and be better, have a discussion. An email is not really a discussion, even though the emails go back and forth and back and forth. It's really hard to have good way to two-way communication that way, because if you and I are communicating via email, I can't see your facial expressions. I I, uh, imagine your intonation based on the words you use and the way you put them together. Mm -hmm. I can't see the tenseness that may be in your eyes. I can't see your body position. And all of those tend to be as important in communication as words are. Mm -hmm. So match the mode of communication with what you intend to get out of the communication. Email is a good way to communicate things that don't require response. Mm -hmm. Reports, basic information that's non-critical, updating somebody on something, things that aren't really critical and don't require two-way communication, really don't require dialogue. Good use of email. Text, um, same thing. Information. I'm going to be 10 minutes late, Megan. Text, that's good. Better than a phone call in some cases. Mm -hmm. Uh, But not everybody is active on text as much as the next person might be. So, you know, as much as I hate to draw generational distinctions 
And I would never do that in terms of uh, dissing a particular generation or presuming one generation has more work ethic than another. I will say that younger people tend to be more um, fully engaged Mm -hmm. with text and uh, current modes of digital communication than some people in my generation will be. Um, The one change to that is if you're a person in my generation and you have children that are in the younger generations right. and grandchildren in younger generations. If you want to stay in touch with them, you better be able to <laughs> that's text. That's where you got to go. <laughs> yeah, you better, use, you better use digital communication. One other thing that's important is don't send text or email when you're angry mm-hmm. to the person you're angry with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd actually probably carry that over to don't initiate a uh, conversation with somebody when you're angry with them. Don't go charging into somebody's office, you know, and slam the door. When you're angry, best to cool off a little bit and think through the circumstance when you're angry. And that applies to all modes of communication. (laughs) That's what my mom always says. She said, just sleep on it, sleep on it before you do anything. Yeah, my grandma (laughs) used to say count to 10. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I have an an example of top-notch personal communication from my history as a business leader and executive. And it goes back 30 years. I was working for a multinational Fortune 500 company. We had multiple different kinds of businesses. And uh, there was a lot of uh, turmoil and reorganization. This was back in the days of re-engineering the corporation. And my company got Mm re-engineered. And my whole division got eliminated. And what happened, the way that was communicated to me my boss, who was on the opposite coast of the country from me, made a trip all the way to the opposite coast of the country mm-hmm. to tell me what was going on. Now, we didn't have text and email back then. And uh, I'm sure the accountants would have said, that's a ridiculous use of money mm-hmm. for a one-hour meeting, one-hour discussion. But we had a few drinks, you know, had a nice dinner and, um, you know, stayed friends for many, many years after. So it's... um. It's a human decency sort of thing. And I think in some cases, we're too quick to put a dollar sign on what ought to be just human decency. Now, we have have corporations now, we have companies now where teams are spread all over the world. And um, whether it makes sense or not to hop on the company plane and fly to India to tell an executive that he's not going to have a job with the company anymore, maybe that doesn't necessarily make the best sense. Mm -hmm. However, it can be done by a Skype discussion. Uh, make sure the person is in a private space. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're in a cubicle, if they're in an open space office, Skype's probably not a great idea. Right. You know, schedule a co- telephone conversation that can be confidential uh, or a Skype conversation that can be confidential. I would say if you can't do it in person, those are two reasonable, practical, not as good options. Be sensitive to the human being. Imagine that you're on the other end of the discussion and, you know, kind of back to that old golden rule thing, you know, how would, how would you like to have such a discussion mm-hmm. held with you? Absolutely. You know, you've been, you've been an important part of the company for 15 years. The company's division that you're working in is going away. Seems to me uh, beyond even human dignity, you've earned some respect and should be treated that way. Mm-hmm. And now thinking about kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, I saw this little tiny ribbon in the drugstore the other day, and it said, congrats, you survived another meeting that could have been an email. 
Um, <laughs> I thought it was just kind of goofy. Um, but some conversations require face-to-face interactions, and some meetings just get off track and end up being a waste of time. How do you decide what conversations to have offline and which ones to have online if there is a good place to communicate digitally? Most organizations should spend some time looking at their meeting calendars Mm -hmm. and thinking about why is this meeting happening? Secondly, when you're invited to a meeting, you should question why am I being invited if it isn't very clear Mm -hmm. to you why you're included. Um, In in meetings, so much time is wasted. Mm -hmm. And what I see as the biggest time wasters are lack of a clear agenda, lack of a good facilitator in the meeting to keep things on track, the um, tendency for rabbit hole discussions, rat hole discussions, where something that's not pertinent to the agenda, not pertinent to the team at that point in time, and many times a redundant discussion that's been had 20 times before Mm -hmm. gets picked up and it goes down a rabbit hole and wastes 20 minutes until finally somebody says enough, enough. Right. We shouldn't even let those get started. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another thing that distracts meetings, wastes time in meetings is what I'll call dyad discussions. We've got eight of us in the meeting and you and I are talking about something separate from what's going on in the meeting. We're not engaged in the meeting. We're maybe whispering to each other, but still we have a discussion going on that isn't um, shared by everybody in the meeting. It may be pertinent to the meeting. A good facilitator calls that out and says, well, hold a minute, Megan, Randy, you guys have some sort of discussion going on right now. Is it pertinent to the good of the team? Well, no, not really. Well, then would you please take it offline? Mm-hmm. Listen, I need you engaged in the, in, in the meeting. Uh, too often, team meetings end up being kind of free-for-alls. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want open, honest communication and you're the leader of the team, the facilitator of the team, it's important to create an environment for robust, open discussion. But some meetings, that's not the purpose. Mm-hmm. Some re- meetings are simply to communicate information. I think sometimes that too much time is spent in meetings looking at the rearview mirror with reports on how our performance was in the last quarter, Mm -hmm. on and on and on and on and on and on, Uh, reams of paper, reams of numbers, reams of graphs. And if um, you're a leader who is making those meetings happen, how can you boil it down so that people get what they need, so that people have the learning they need, and if commitments are necessary out of the meeting. The commitments are made and they're followed up at on at the next meeting. Meetings have a big tendency to waste people's time. Mm-hmm. And we need to be really considerate of our colleagues in scheduling meetings and make sure that they are pertinent and that they're pertinent to the business results, they're pertinent to the good of the team, pertinent to relationships between team members, and that uh, they are only held when necessary and only the people who are directly pertinent to the purpose of the meeting or included in the meeting. So we've talked a bit about, you know, talking online versus offline. Something else, I had a professor in college in the communications department, and she would always say, we have this entire communications department, but not a single class is about listening. And she said that that was just a huge problem um, because listening is half of communication. How can you become a better listener and how can you help your team become better listeners? Well, you know, actually, you could probably answer that question since you had uh, the professor that believed that was important. Um, I'll have a very abrupt answer to that first, and then we can talk in more detail. Mm -hmm. Shut up. (laughs) You know, if you want to be a better listener, shut up and listen. Mm -hmm. But really, shutting up is only the first step. 
because so often, and this is said over and over and over again, it's worn out, almost cliched at this point, but it's absolutely true. And many, many people, many, many leaders still do it. And that is we listen to the other person with the intention of rebutting what they're saying Mm -hmm. rather than listening to the other person with the intention of understanding the meaning behind what they're saying. Communication is a challenging process. We have to hear the words. We have to interpret the words, give meaning to the words. We have to figure out what the nonverbal communication means, the facial expressions, the tonality, the body movements, um, and all of that stuff sometimes is in conflict with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the words are reasonably positive and you can tell by the look in the eyes that the person didn't feel positive at all. So good communication is listening and looking, I would say. And then it is also questioning. I listen to the words you say. Mm-hmm. I try to understand the meaning to those words. I look to see what's going on with your body, what's going on in your face. I listen to the tone of what you're saying, and I question. Megan, you know, what you you said this, um, just so I understand, what did you really mean by that? Or mm-hmm. another another really good question is, understand what you just said, but I'm curious, why do you believe that? Mm-hmm. Finding the root of it. And that's the tough one, particularly for people that believe the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Because if you believe the exact opposite and you ask a person why they believe that, number one, you may have a hard time listening to understand really why they believe that mm-hmm. because you're listening to rebut it because you have strongly held beliefs yourself. And uh, I think we all tend to be guilty of that, <laughs> particularly Definitely. in these supercharged political times. hmm Absolutely. Um, And talking about those kinds of disagreements or just listening to kind of hear only what you want to hear, how can you prioritize open communication and active listening in the workplace? It's about the culture of the organization, the culture that exists in your team. And as a leader, I believe every leader has the accountability to establish the culture with the team Mm -hmm. that will guide the behaviors of the team. Um, culture is really a result of leadership behaviors. And if you're the leader, what do you model? Do you model open honest communication? Do you let people have their say? Do you talk over people? Do you cut people off when you disagree with them? Uh, have you built a level of trust in your organization where it's safe for people to say what's on their mind? Is it okay on your team to have an unpopular opinion? Mm -hmm. And will that unpopular opinion be heard? You know, we've had too many times in society where the majority has been absolutely wrong Mm -hmm. to devastating consequences. Do you allow that to happen in your company? Do you allow the conventional wisdom to drive the future when the future is changing so fast, conventional wisdom may well not fit? So there will always be times when hard conversations need to happen. Maybe you're losing clients, people need to redirect their workflow, anything like that. How can you prepare to have these types of um, kind of redirecting conversations or need for improvement conversations so they get the point across but don't come across as disrespectful or demotivating? I'm going to go back to my comments in an earlier question about Mm -hmm. establishing a culture of trust, openness, and honesty, and modeling that as a leader. How we behave in the most difficult times is what really defines who we are. 
it's easy to get along well when things are going well. It's easy to uh, have a good time when the numbers are right. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're closing a lot of business, when projects are getting done, when workflow is good, when we're meeting deadlines. It gets difficult when things aren't good. It gets difficult when we lose a big client. It gets difficult when we screw up on a major project for a customer and we're embarrassed and we have a tendency to look for somebody to blame. I think looking for blame and having a culture that looks for blame is really unhealthy because Mm -hmm. it causes people to mask what has really happened, causes people to mask the truth. And what we need in difficult situations is the best thinking of everybody. And actually, I would say not even in difficult situations. All the time, we need the best thinking of everybody. And it's not uncommon that leaders create cultures and environments where you can't get the best thinking of everybody. Mm -hmm. Build a a community of trust in your organization. And what I mean by trust is confidence in each other, confidence in each other's capability to do the job, confidence in each other's integrity, and confidence in each other's commitment to the team, commitment to the business, and the ability to put business and team above self at times. There are a lot of people just communicate in different ways. There are some people who are always on the phone, some people who like to be very open and honest, some people who have more passive communication styles. Um, And in the workplace, you're going to probably hit all of them. How can you adjust your communication style to meet someone who has a different style? One of the important aspects of deliberately setting up a team to be a high-performing team, to be a successful team, a team that gets results persistently, and a team that people want to be a part of, is taking the time to set the team up for success. Mm -hmm. I call it going slow to go fast. Learning together as team members is a critical component of that. We use a variety of scientifically valid assessments. Mm -hmm. And let me back up a minute and say that, yeah, human development leadership development is a combination of science of human behavior and the art of communication. And the science of human behavior allows us to understand who people are, Mm -hmm. why we behave the way that we do. So when we do this sort of work, I learn about myself, you learn about yourself, and we learn about each other. And I understand then, after understanding better who you are, I know that chances are you're going to behave a certain way when things are tough. Chances are that you have some strengths that I have. Chances are you have some strengths that I don't have. And maybe some of your strengths can complement my weaknesses. And if I'm, if I'm your leader and uh, I know that you are really good at something that I'm terrible at, then we're both going to be more successful if I can trust you to help fill that void. Mm-hmm. So, it's, um, you know, getting to know each other beyond just how people might normally know each other at work. I mean, you'll get to know each other over time anyway, but we can expedite that and create more success more quickly by deliberately setting the team up for success, mm-hmm. using assessments, learning together, practicing good communication skills together, and making a commitment that this is how we're going to interact with each other. These are the behaviors that our team is going to live up to. And teams will make those commitments. People will fall off the wagon. It always happens. But it gives a framework to say, you know, Randy, we agreed that we're going to treat each other with respect. And we even went so far as to say what that means 
is this, this, and this. And uh, you lost your cool yesterday. And you yelled and screamed and berated Megan in front of the team. That ain't okay. Mm-hmm. And if I'm the leader, and I can be the leader by position or title, I can be the CEO. If I have a high-performing team, it better be okay for any team member to tell me that. I need to be able to get my way, ego out of the way and model the commitments that we made as a team when we set the team up for success. Mm-hmm. We talked about this a bit at the beginning, but there are a lot of generational differences in communication. Um, a lot of younger people tend to be all in the digital and older people sometimes are less in the digital. How can you overcome these uh, gener- generational gap communication differences or other differences when two parties don't see eye to eye? So I'll tell you a secret. I'm an old guy, but I read the Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> I know the slang. You can't you can't BS me with slang. Uh, no, ser- seriously, I think um, we have to respect that there are differences. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think way too much is made of generational differences. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, I understand the language is different each generation. I understand that the prior generation always thinks the subsequent generation's music sucks. <laughs> You know, I understand that prior generation tends to feel like subsequent generation just doesn't have the work ethic, Mm -hmm. just isn't as smart, just isn't as whatever. I don't buy that. I think, you know, people, um, everybody is different than somebody else, but there are commonalities that things want, things that people want, commonalities of what people need to be successful. And good communication really would go back to what I was saying before, regardless of generation, if I accept the fact that communication is the responsibility of the sender and I'm the sender and let's just for, for sake of argument, let's say rather than generational difference, you speak a language that I don't speak. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're a subordinate in my company and uh, you have come from another country and you're a brilliant scientist. We need your brain power. I don't speak your native language. You're in the process of learning English. I've got to figure out how to make sure that you understand what you need to understand to be a successful contributor to the company. And not only to be a successful contributor to the company, but to feel like you belong, to feel like this is, be, is your community, to feel like you're a valued member of the team. And if as a leader, you don't speak my language, we got to figure out how to, how to work with that. Mm-hmm. And so how do you figure out how to work with that? Well, in, in the case of a total foreign language, I may need an interpreter. Yeah. Or, you know, I may, uh, in case of a generational difference, I may have to go to the Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, more simply than that, Megan, I may just say, Megan, sorry, I don't really understand what you just said. Help me understand, please. Yeah, absolutely. Just communicate more. Yeah. yeah well, and, and don't be shy about asking the question. Don't pretend you know when you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, obviously in a workplace, sometimes you have to get people to do things that they don't want to do. Maybe you have a huge backlog of data entry or somebody's got to work the crack of dawn shift. Um, how can you really inspire people with or through communication to do things that need to be done, but maybe aren't the most popular tasks? So much of what we're talking about has to do with the overall culture in an organization mm-hmm. and the way the leader leads and um, you know, discretionary effort is discretionary effort. You can't command discretionary effort. Mm-hmm. If you build a high performing team with smart, capable people 
who feel engaged and feel like they really are a part of the part of the team, a part of the company, people will tend to see what needs to be done and do it. You know, people will volunteer to do the extra hours. You know, people will volunteer to pitch in when a deadline is missed. People will step up. Not always, but generally in an engaged workforce, uh, that's what people do. Unfortunately, in our country, somewhere around 70% of all people at work are not engaged, Mm -hmm. not committed to the company. And so in that environment, what happens is due to lack, uh, perceived lack of commitment, there's a command sort of situation that takes over. And, you know, commanding, as soon as you command somebody, no longer is the effort discretionary. All right, Randy. So say there are people out there who want to go improve their business communication right now. Um, What are three concrete things that they can do? So I think the three most important things inherent in our discussion today, one is accept the fact that communication is the responsibility of the sender. Choose the mode of communication that fits the intention behind why you're communicating. Mm -hmm. And three, as a leader, uh, and I would say not just as a leader, but even as as just a human being or in an organization. By leader, I don't mean somebody with a title necessarily. I mean by behavior. As a leader, be known for clarity. Thanks again for your thoughts today, Randy. And thanks to all of you out there listening to our show. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, share it on social media, and tell your friends about it. If you're interested in bringing the professional outsider to your workplace, learn more at www.route2results.com.